The Better Understanding Podcast is an invitation, an open-hearted, extended hand to increase our ability to work, lead, and live with one another more effectively. The premise and philosophy of the podcast is that it all begins with understanding ourselves and understanding others. In season one, and with some of the most successful experts and leaders of diversity and inclusion efforts in the world, we explored what it means to lead inclusively. In season two, we are bringing to life our Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Arrive and Thrive, via powerful stories, earned wisdom, and lessons learned from some of the world's preeminent leaders and thrivers. Join me, Susan McEntee Brady, as we explore how to arrive and thrive. I am so excited to introduce today's Better Understanding podcast guest, Carla Harris. My Arrive and Thrive co-authors, Janet Bowdy and Lynn Perry Wooten and I were thrilled to interview Carla as our featured thriver in the book about the practice of embracing authenticity. Since our book published in April, Carla has published her new book, Lead to Win, which we'll talk about. When Carla isn't inspiring leaders how to expect, strategize, and lead to win, she serves as senior client advisor at Morgan Stanley. She was chair of the Morgan Stanley Foundation from 2005 to 2014 and sits on the boards of several community organizations. Carla was appointed by President Barack Obama to chair the National Women's Business Council. And when she isn't leading at work and inspiring leaders and volunteering and being a mom and wife and lots of other things, she is a gospel recording artist. And I have had the pleasure of seeing her sing live at the Apollo Theater in New York City. That was right before the pandemic. I have said publicly when asked who rejuvenates and inspires that I go to the Church of Carla Harris on a regular basis, and I highly recommend others do the same. She was the one that introduced me to the idea that my authenticity is my greatest advantage, and I allowed that to sink in, and I do believe it changed the trajectory of my life, and for that, I will forever be grateful. So, Carla, welcome to the Better Understanding Podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Susan, for having me. I am excited to have this conversation with you. And thank you for such lovely words. Well, I mean, them. I'm, um, I'm nothing if not sincere, to, for better or worse. Uh, so, look, let's just cut to the chase. Tell me about this book. It just debuted this week. So tell us about this new book of yours. Yes, the book is called Lead to Win, and I'm so excited about it because it's how to be a powerful, impactful, influential leader in any environment, especially in today's context. So as you know, Susan, I love giving pearls, as I like to call them, my hard-earned and hard-learned pearls. And in this book, I give pearls to leaders, people who are already sitting in the leadership seat, people who are ascending to the leadership seat, people who have started their own company. They are early in their entrepreneurial journey, no matter what age they are. And understand also that I talk to people who have, may have just started their career, because I believe strongly that you can lead from any seat. So these are the, the tactics, if you will, of how do you show up every day? Because leadership has to be intentional. You are not a leader because somebody gave you a title. You're not a leader because you're very senior. You've been there for 30 years. You're a leader because of the way that you engage and how do you motivate and inspire people to deliver upon an outcome. I'm so glad you started there with the reminder that leadership is not a position of hierarchy. It's a position of, of mindset often. And I think a lot of people have shortchanged the word and it can be daunting, this whole concept of leadership. So can you share a little bit about what you see as changing 
in leadership. Is this it? Is it that it's a bail to all of us wherever we sit and stand? Well, I think part of that is a new understanding, but I'll tell you what has changed in my view, and this is what gave me the aha moment because I started talking about intentional leadership in the fourth quarter of 18 because it was then that I realized that we were in a different leadership context than the one that I grew up in. You know, the joke used to be, if your boss said jump, your answer was how high, right? But now if you say jump to a millennial, they're going to say why. So today's professionals are, are questioning the assignments. They're questioning the, the content, the context, if you will. And many leaders who are sitting in the seat today are not used to being challenged. They didn't grow up in their career challenging other leaders. So that's one of the things that has changed. The other thing that has changed, frankly, and, and a lot of this is because of the pandemic and the social unrest, is that there have been two major shifts that happened in this last two and a half years. One has been the change in the contract between employer and employee. And the other one has been the amplification of voice and choice, right? And then if you look overall, you know, we're, we're in a context now where people are questioning why they're doing what they're doing professionally in a way that I would argue we didn't do before because we were all running around so fast that, you know, you could just keep going and not ask yourself questions like, am I at my best and highest use? Am I getting paid what I should be getting paid? Do I really even like my boss? So a very different context. And lastly, I'll say this. It used to be leadership was about oversight. Now we have evolved to a place where leadership is around insight. You say so many cool things that I want to capture. I want to go back to it all. You know, when the concept of just being challenged, a light bulb went off. The work that I do is how to manage yourself when you're triggered as, and boy, oh boy, we find ourselves more triggered as a result of (laughs) being challenged. What does it take to navigate as a leader in this new environment? Yeah. The first thing that you need to do is to make sure that you're giving access for people to contribute, right? And so many leaders are missing the ingenuity, the innovativeness, the energy, the execution capabilities, the ability to create processes from the people that are working with them because they don't open access. They don't say to people, I value your contributions. I value your thought, let alone what you do. You know, I don't have all the answers. I need you to stand shoulder to shoulder with me to co-create while we do this. And they're not given the invitation. And one of the other things that I've noticed recently, and this was since, you know, I turned the book in, uh, Susan, and that is most organizations are not taking inventory of the wealth and the depth of talent that they have in their own organization. So when it's time to go get a big C-suite job, the CHRO, the CDO, the chief people and innovation officer, they're calling with all due respect the great executive search firms and nobody's looking internally at all of the talent to say, for whom might this not be a stretch? Because they did that two jobs ago before they we hired them to do this job. Who might be ready for this because we've given them five interesting assignments over the last 10 years that might have informed their ability to blah, blah, blah. And I don't know where that exists which job description that currently exists within organizations. You could probably put it in the Office of of Human Resources Management, but somewhere companies need to keep inventory of the talent that they have. 
in order to fill some of these really great and innovative roles. I want to turn from company inventory and organizational strides, because what I find is when we talk in these terms with leaders, sometimes they think, oh, that's someone else's job. But I know you well enough to know there's an inside job to do here in terms of taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it starts with having some courage to speak up, right? Can you speak a little bit about to lead in this environment, to do the kinds of things that you're just talking about right now? What do do our listeners need to do? Yes. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up the word courage because in chapter six, when I talk about the eight pearls of intentional leadership, I end that chapter by saying the strand that holds all of these pearls together is courage because it takes courage to call a thing a thing. There's a person listening to this podcast that hasn't had the experience of knowing something should have been said in a room and they just look down at their shoes. It takes courage to be intentional, to teach people how to fail so that they learn how to innovate. It takes courage to be intentional around diversity because it won't just happen. It takes courage to engage enough with your people in order to build and earn their trust. And that was another aha for me over the last two and a half years as I sat right here and I got call after call from CEOs saying, how do I lead in this moment? How do I manage my people? How do I inspire them? And we're not the same building. And I I found myself clutching my pearls, Susan, saying, oh my God, he's scared. He's scared. And part of what they were afraid of was that this moment demanded authenticity, right? And let's face it, the reason they were struggling with it is if you were building your career like me in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a prescription of how you got to the top. And if you followed the prescription, you got to the top. So you could do that without ever showing who you really were. Now, as I said, amplification of voice and choice, your employees are asking. Who are you? What do you stand for? Why didn't we speak on this issue? Are we going to talk about that issue? Now, what really are the values and are your values aligned with mine? Right? We never asked this of our organizations before. We never asked this of our leaders. Employees are asking that of the organization. They're asking that of the leaders. And if you don't know who you are, it's very difficult to show up with authenticity, which is why they were afraid. So yes, it requires courage because you have to have the courage to figure out who you are and show up authentically and do all those things that I just said. I've spent the majority of my time with working with women leaders. I love when I have the opportunity to work with, with men as well. The women in particular, I see this, I call it the veneer of perfection, right? Can't let them see a sweat, can't have a chink in the armor. And it occurred to me when you just said, we've sort of learned the prescription of the way to be. That prescription wasn't just learned and passed on generation to generation. It was safe. And I, I have a theory, Carla, that when we went, when we moved to the future as hybrid world where we're seeing each other's backgrounds, all of a sudden there are parts of me, this is before we all figured out how to blur our screen on Zoom. You see me in a way you would not have, I see you in a way, even right now, we've yeah. met on many occasions, we've had long, great conversations. I've heard you speak, you've heard me speak, but I see something more about you just because I can see you. And I, to our listeners, I think what happened was human beings got exposed. Huh? which means now we actually aren't just moving towards authenticity because it's a good idea. It's like the jig is up. Um, Can you speak a little bit about that 
about authenticity and about how listeners can embrace authenticity. Obviously, we featured you in the chapter on embracing authenticity and arrive at Thrive, but I'd love to get your latest thoughts about the connection between courage and authenticity. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about the connection between courage and authenticity. It does take a measure of courage to, first of all, take the time to figure out who you really are. Because let's face it, being authentic in any environment starts with knowing who you really are. And before we went into this shelter-in-place protocol, we were all running around, busy as ever. You know, who was really taking the time to say, who am I today in 2012 relative to who I am today in 2019? Who am I today in 2019 relative to even last year in 2018? And if you haven't done that recently, you have to do it now because there's not a person on the planet that hasn't been impacted in some way by the COVID-19 crisis or by watching what has transpired in this country that created the, the social unrest on the back of racial inequities. Everybody felt some kind of way. So if no other time you check in with yourself now to say, who am I? Am I still a person that loves to work on teams or do I prefer to work by myself now? Am I still a morning person or am I a real night owl right now? You know, am I far more contemplative before I speak or before I give a solution or am I much quicker on the draw? Who are you? That's first. Second, understand that we're all multifaceted. There's not just one you. There's a pensive you. There's an argumentative you. There's an intellectual you. Embrace all those facets. Then you get to walk into any environment as the third prescription and relax. Now you can meet people where they are and you can decide in the moment, is it Carla the mom, Carla the singer, Carla the problem solver, you know, Carla the speaker, Carla the writer, which Carla at that moment most authentically engages with the person on the other side of the conversation. But it takes courage to do that because usually we're too preoccupied, and this will get right to the heart of what I've heard you speak about and what you've written about, too often we are preoccupied with whether or not that's going to be enough and whether or not that will be embraced and whether or not that will be okay. Instead of just having the confidence, that is what is. So I'm going to put it all out there. And, you know, I trust that you will be smart enough, kind enough, whatever it is, to embrace it because this is my very best right now. Well, I just want to replay that. Let's put that on replay, everyone. You're so magical. I just love this. It never ceases to amaze me sometimes. The more accomplished the leader that I work with, sometimes the more they feel like they're just never going to, they just can't do it. They just can't step into enoughness. Enoughness feels good, listening friends. Enoughness feels good. But what I'm hearing you say is we need to arrive at a knowingness of our own enoughness when we walk into a room out of knowing ourselves uh -huh. so that we can give of our gifts. It's not necessarily something I used to tell people, there's no magic wand. There's no magic wand. There's no one who's going to come up and anoint you as worthy of fill in the blank. Put it in your own hand and anoint yourself. What do you want? What do you want to manifest? Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about sort of your life and what got you to the awesome wisdom that you spend a lot of time sharing and writing about. Can you give our listeners a little view into Carla at 10, Carla at 20. <laughs> How did you grow up to be you? Yeah, I will tell you that I have to give credit to my parents and the context that they created. And the context, and I came from very humble means, but my family always made me feel 
as though I was supposed to do well, that I had everything that it took in order to do well. And they expected that I was going to do well. If there was an A to be had, then you better get that A. And if you don't, you better tell me why you didn't get that A, because you're supposed to get that A, right? And so uh, my father used to say to me all the time, Yo, my job is to make sure you have the ability to get your lesson and your job is to get your lesson, right? And I was very clear on what that meant. And then my grandmother, who was the first female entrepreneur that I ever knew in my life, and, and to this day, one of the most successful, is that she would always say, baby, whatever you be, be good at it, right? So that instilled in me that if you were going to bother to do anything, and she would say, if you want to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man swinging on the back of that truck, that always said to me that no matter what I chose to do, go to the top of that thing. And, and so there was this measure of always reaching for excellence. So whether it was going to Harvard, I wasn't going to be just another bursar's number. I was going to come out of there with honors. Going to Harvard Business School, I was going to fight for some kind of honors. If it wasn't Baker Scholar, it would be first or second year honors. And when I got to Morgan Stanley, again, I, was, I didn't want to be one of the also-rans. You know, I wanted to figure out a way to forge my way to what people looked at and say, yeah, that's excellence right there. That's her. That's what, that's what it looks like. And so that has been my driver, even to this day, at the very core of who I am. The other thing that my parents used to say all the time, especially my mother, Carla, be kind to everyone because the people you meet on the way up will be the same ones you see coming on the way down, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, it made me, again, it instilled in me that I am no better than anybody else. I might be at a different station of life, but, and that may have been of, the, that may be because of the choices I had in front of me and the choices I made. Um, and that really is the distinction, you know, between me and anybody else that's out there. So that's who I am at the core. And then as I have evolved as a professional, as a person, you know, I, I just derive great joy from being help. I mean, from being able to help people get theirs, whatever they define as theirs. And, and I, I'm starting to realize also, Susan, that I have a different eye in that I can see your thing. And sometimes I can see your thing before you see your thing, right? And if I see it, I'm going to tell you. And people say to me all the time, you know, how do you feel about the, all the accolades and the awards that you've gotten? And I try to get people to understand they are only important for one reason. And that is that I can have credibility with somebody who doesn't know me. So if I meet you for the first time and you think Carla Harris is all of this because she's done blah, 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 blah. Well, now I got your attention. So when I say to you, oh, no, girl, you can do blah, blah. Oh, no, let me tell you what I see. I heard what you said, but let me tell you what I see. You're listening to me, right? So that's why those things matter, because maybe they allow me to get in there with you and help you to see your thing. And to give you some courage to go get it. It's, it's such a great reframe about, about the accomplishments aiding you to be credible to those who don't know you. I was recently asked after Arrive and Thrive made the bestseller list. And congratulations on that, oh, by the way. That's just in the category of awesome, huh? Um, yeah. I, Janet and Lynn are my co-authors. I share this with so many people that made it happen. The, the question I got, though, I was, I'm on a board of a company and it was the first board meeting after this happened. And one of them said, how does it feel to be a best-selling author? And I, I really thought, you know, as, as excited I, as I was, I don't fundamentally feel better or worse as a human being than I did before or without. I, I'm not attached to the moniker. However, I know that it will probably give me credibility with people who don't know me. And so I think 
that there and almost is the distinction and the connection between our work, Carla, is you are the go for it girl. And if you don't know how to go for it, just talk to Carla or listen to Carla. As you go for it, standing in understanding that you are okay right here, right now, just as you are. That's a hard thing to do to both strive and hold yourself in warm regard while you take risks. Thoughts on that and how do you do it? Yeah, I'll tell you, I go for it because again, I have been programmed by my parents to go for the top, whatever it is, right? And, but like I said, getting there to the top is the thing that then gives me some credibility to encourage and motivate other people to do it. Cause then I get to say, I did it. If I did it, honey, trust me, you can do it, right? And here's how. Now you may do it a different way, but let me tell you why I know you can, right? So that's why it matters in terms of getting there in the in the macro, you know, and the micro, giving yourself the grace, as you said, to know that where you are right now is where you are right now, and that's good enough, right? And what you can do in 2022 may be vastly different than what you were able to do in 2018. And it may be vastly different than what you can do in 2025. And that's all right. That's, so, that's, that's okay. Because the thing that keeps shifting, even if you stay the same, is the context around you. And you cannot discount that the context around you will affect your momentum. So it's funny. I, I'd love to hear what the most important lesson you've learned over your career. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, gosh, I bet she has them for every context she's been in. And I think it would really be helpful textually for our listeners to know a couple of examples. That was one. It's no question. That was a big unlock. Because uh, here's the other thing that I learned at the time that, that uh, the, authentic, the power of authenticity was unlocked for me. The other thing that I learned was that most people did not have the courage to be who they really were. And so it made you higher in their esteem level because you had the courage to do that. People admire that because I think deep down inside, most people have the aspiration to do that, but they do have that fear. That fear is the thing that's stopping them from that major breakthrough of embracing all of who they are. The other big lesson was the one that I just told you about understanding that you can do all you can do and you can be the very best you. But if that context is shifting, it will either have you go faster or have you go slower. So don't beat yourself up. Don't spend a whole lot of time beating yourself up about your velocity because your context may be affecting how fast you go and embracing that and understanding that. How many times have you said to yourself, and most people know this, how many times have you said to yourself, okay, maybe now is not the time because it doesn't feel like it's moving the way it should, but it has nothing to do with your energy level, it has everything to do with what's going on around you. You know, what's, what's the macro environment? What's the micro environment? Who are the players? that are on your left and on your right, that could be affecting that. And so though, I mean, as you know, we could spend this whole podcast, honey, and I could give you lesson after lesson after lesson, because I've learned a lot of them in 35 years. But if there are two that I want to leave with your audience, it would be those two. And then the last one would be, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Because fear, as you know, is, is a major impediment. And I talk about this every time I speak publicly, that fear has no place in your success equation. And when you are holding back, when you are hesitating on an opportunity and you may have great intellectual reasons why you're doing it, peel that onion. I will bet you any amount of money fears in the middle. 
courage, one of the things we realized when we were doing the research on courage for the book, and I'd love your definition, it is really not the absence of fear, it's the presence of, of vulnerability, right? Uh, so we've danced around a couple of our practices from best self, which is grounding ourselves in who we are and knowing who we are and then returning to that best part of our kind, compassionate self. We've danced around cultivating courage, authenticity. I'd love to talk a little bigger picture about going back to actually where we started with organizational life. How can our listeners best infuse in the people around them the kinds of things we've been talking about in the last half hour? Yes. And I think by showing that behavior. Other than getting your book, Lead to Win. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. But I think the things that the thing that you can do that's most powerful as a leader is to demonstrate the behavior. You cannot discount how closely people are watching you. And now that I'm a parent, I start using this as an example because I've seen it and I have young kids. So now I'm really observing what happens in terms of human nature. And when, when you have young kids, you are frankly their God, right? Because in most cases, they don't yet understand the concept or, or know God for themselves yet. They know what you teach them. So everything that you do, it begins and ends with you. As my former pastor used to say, they emulate everything about you. So he would say, don't come and tell me about your kids. Look in the mirror, right? Because they're taking it from you. So watch yourself, right? And so it's the same thing with those who are working with you as partners or employees uh, and professionals. They're watching you. So if you want to instill this behavior in them, you need to demonstrate it. That's why I argue in the book that you have to be intentional. You can't just show up every day. And oh, by the way, Susan, it doesn't take a long time to be intentional. Before you walk into that office or before you get on that Zoom, you can take as little as two minutes and say, okay, what do I want to show my folks today? What do I want them to consume? Because one of the other things I argue in the book, Lead to Win, is that people are consuming you when you are in front of them. Don't forget that as a leader. They're consuming you. So you should ask yourself, what do I want them to consume? Do I want them to consume some energy? Do I want them to consume a can-do attitude? Do I want them to consume, I don't know either, and I'm inviting you to help me figure it out, right? What do you want them? If you want them to be courageous enough to show some vulnerability and to get over it, then you need to show them how to do that. In many cases, people don't do because they don't know how. Carla, we could go on. How can our listeners find more of you? Yes. First, I have a YouTube channel. So I'm always putting the pearls out there, Carla Ann Harris. Second, I have a website called Carla's Pearls, no apostrophe, Carla's Pearls. Uh, And then obviously you can find the books, Expect to Win, Strategize to Win, and Now Lead to Win at any bookstore or online. And the audio book, by the way, is in my voice. Final piece of advice for our listeners. Final piece of advice. We are in an environment where you get a chance to write your script for the first time in my professional career. Every leader or emerging leader or aspiring leader should approach their seat with a blank sheet of paper attitude as we go on the other side of this pandemic. All the rule books are being rewritten. Do not lose the opportunity to design and instead let someone dictate to you. 
So incredible, Carla. I love every time we have the opportunity to connect. It's been such an honor to learn from you and to share your insights with the world. Thank you so much for shining your light so brightly. So thank you. Thank you.